even when you're right, there are times when it is just so much better to keep it to yourself. There are always young people coming and going from Ireland. Emigration was, for many, a lifestyle choice, Finance Minister Michael Noonan said at the height of the recession. And some of them are immigrants in the traditional sense. Uh, others simply, it's a small island, other people want to get off the island for a while. He was trying to dispute the link between a 14% unemployment rate and an astronomical rise in people leaving the country. At the height of the boom, about 16,000 people a year moved abroad. But by the time Michael Noonan put his size 10s into the debate, 270,000 people had left the country since the crash four years earlier. It's not being driven by unemployment at home, it's driven by a desire to see another part of the world and live there. Sure weren't three of his own five children abroad seeking opportunity and adventure rather than being forced out of the country, he said. There was instant and furious reaction to his ad-libbed remarks, so the department's spin doctors pushed him right back out the door to clarify what he said. Yeah, I'm being quoted out of context. I said for some people it was a lifestyle choice. Uh, some people want to go to Australia for a couple of years mm. and come back home again. Other people want to get married abroad and it's a lifestyle choice. But for uh, the most of immigrants, it's forced immigration. And I drew attention in particular to the 100,000 people who became redundant in the building industry. Yes, of course, he only made things worse for himself by doubling down. But the thing is, Michael Noonan was right, or he was about half right. Just under 50% of emigrants at the time he spoke were in full-time employment when they left. 40% said that they were leaving because they wanted to see the world and experience other cultures. Just 23% of emigrants were out of work when they left. Noonan's pratfall was trying to describe the typical Irish emigrant. You can't. There is no one-size-fits-all reason for leaving. We were neither famine-fleeing, tuberculosis-ridden waifs being doused in insecticide on Ellis Island, nor were we standing in a long line of lads in parkas and Doc Martens at Dunleary Harbour in the 80s. The truth of austerity-era emigration is nuanced and defies a lot of preconceptions. So here we are, singing a blues song once again. But should we be? Is there another song that is a better fit for our experience of the Great Recession and our lives since? We're trying to get a better fix on what happened in the last crisis so we can better fix the one ahead. So now might be the good time to fix in our minds to what extent we emigrate because it is our island's historic and present-day pressure valve allowing a controlled release of pent-up anger and disappointment? Or to what extent do we emigrate because we are good at it, better than other countries at grabbing overseas opportunity and adventure? Do we go because we have to, or because we want to.
To begin, though, we have to change the record. This week, ten years ago, Jesse J was number one. Seems like everybody's got a price. I wonder how they sleep at night. The same week, a general election was called, and a politician seeking re-election came looking for Eileen Noonan's vote. I went to the door, and this guy, I knew him from his photographs, and he was going on about what they'd do if they got in and they'd be able to do this. And I just turned to him and I said, can you guarantee me if if I pick up a phone, I can ask my son who had to emigrate to New Zealand, I said, um, a few months ago, can, I, can you tell me that if I do that, that my son will be able to come home and get a job? Jesse J got to number one singing about a world in which the things that we value couldn't have numbers put on them. The politician knocking on Eileen's door wasn't going to be getting her number one because he could only talk in numbers and job schemes and employment targets. And he talked a bit too much about himself. You've got to realise too, Mrs. He said, I have a family. I, he said, I have three or four girls, he said. My kids will, will probably have to go as well. And that's just a way of life now with us. Was the wrong answer. I said, listen here, I said. If you rear your child, I said, and he's working, his job falls, I said. Everything that he wants to do walked out the door for him. I said, I hope you never have to go to an airport. I said, like we had to go to Cork Airport and say goodbye to your child. I said, and watch him going in the doors of the departure lounge. I said, and tears flowing down his face. I said, with his knapsack, I said, on his back. I said, I didn't know when I'd see my young fella again. I said, as it's so far away. No elected officials were harmed in this incident, but it was a close thing. Eileen's oldest son, Billy, had lost one factory job when the crash first hit, been put on short time in the next job, couldn't find anything else in Limerick and was watching his closest friends head to the airport. So he left for New Zealand at the start of 2011. The best that the man looking for Eileen's vote could offer was, that's life, isn't it? But he said, it's just a way of life. He said, we all have, we'll all have to do it again, I suppose, at some time. Well, I said, I hope you don't have to do because I said, it's not every parent's dream, I said, for your, their child to go away. And they're not going away, I said, having a high life, I said. He went away because he had no future here. And he said, oh, yeah. But he said, these things happen, he said, and we'll all be going through it, as I say, as he walked up my driveway. And I was left standing at the door looking at him. Billy was Eileen's eldest, and one of her greatest fears was that her other three kids would end up following Billy's path once emigration had got its foot in the front door of the house. The farewell at Cork Airport had been hard on everyone, but coming back to the house was even worse. His bedroom was downstairs, and all his stuff was still in it, but he wasn't there. And it was of a Saturday, so normally Billy would be getting ready to go out. But the house was so quiet. And even the dog, um, Scooter, he 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 kind of just looked at us and he went, 
for it to, yeah, he went into uh, on top of Billy's bed as if he was waiting for him to come. But it was the quietness and the it, it was actually like as if somebody had died. It was, that was the only way now you could describe it. It was horrible. I really was. When someone of Eileen's generation says emigration, the word means the near Cromwellian population movements of the 1950s and 80s. Permanent exile, financial humiliation, towns and villages emptied of their energy. But it has radically changed since then. For a start, there's the numbers involved. So in the 1950s, you had 400,000 people net leaving. So that is the difference between the amount of people leaving and the amount of people coming back. Um, And that was equivalent to around 15% of the Irish population at the time. So the Irish population at the time was under 3 million. So this was huge. UCD historian Iriel Glynn, whose area of expertise is Irish migration. Um, Whereas more recently, it, it wasn't as significant you know, um, you only had around 150,000 net emigration of Irish citizens. So it's only around a third of the size of of what occurred in the 1950s and maybe around half what occurred in the late 1980s. But when you are Irish and living through it, you don't know that it's not going to be as bad as before because you carry a few suitcases full of coffin ship folklore with you wherever you go. It seemed at the time like it was incredible because in 2012 and 2013, for instance, the amount of people emigrating was nearly 90,000, which sounded even more than what occurred in the 1950s. But on the basis of the numbers alone, emigration in the 1950s was three times as bad as post-crash emigration and the wave of the 1980s was twice as bad. Even that, though, paints a misleading picture because half of the people leaving hadn't been born here in the first place. I actually jumped from the farm after a year and I started driving on the truck. I was working there for nearly two years and then actually crashed came to Ireland. Yaroslav Kuzio came here after the EU embraced 10 new members in 2004, including his native Poland. A qualified electrician at home, he had no English, but he jumped from job to job as his English improved, ending up in the construction sector when the crash hit. I was actually like tipper driver. Mostly that was delivery and pick up uh, soil from, uh, from the building site and deliver stone. Unfortunately for Yaroslav, it was last in, first out. Just a few drivers actually stay in the company who was working for for that guy for a long, long time. Like I said, that was that was big crash and lots of the people actually lost the job in that time. Returning to Poland was always on his mind, but he was entitled to dole here and there was still a day or two's work to be picked up here and there. I was unemployed. I don't remember for how long, but like in the meantime... You know, from time to time, the actually the company which one uh, left us, they called that they will need for like, for example, for the one day, maybe two days, sometimes three days, uh, work. So we had that job. And initially, like many of his friends, Yaroslav thought about sitting the recession out here in Ireland. Coming here had been about a lot more than just earning money, and he liked it. But liking a place will only sustain you for so long. For my person, was like. Uh, unsatisfied like I wasn't actually feel happy to I can't work I can't do uh, something to make the life better because if you are actually sitting on the door it's it's 
it's not life really for me it is like just existing so what happened to you then oh uh, i actually had a phone call and somebody offered me a job in back in poland Iriel, how many Yaroslavs were there in those immigration figures in the five years after the crash? Roughly half. So um, non-Irish citizens dominated the figures in the early years of the crash, but then thereafter the Irish started to dominate. But if you take it as a whole, what happened was uh, around 50% of those leaving were from elsewhere. And you know that's understandable because they don't have the same ties in Ireland often as uh, Irish citizens do, you know, that they don't have uh, the same kind of anchors. So if the economy is going um, down the drain, as as it did periodically, as it did for a while, um, maybe they have better options at home or better options elsewhere in Britain or somewhere like that or in Germany, which you saw a huge amount of uh, Eastern Europeans moving to Germany um, in the 2010s. But it's also interesting as well that um, maybe people expected more immigrants to leave Ireland, but but then you actually see that people had made Ireland a home, and people, you know, would would compare their lives in Ireland with where they came from. So obviously this was a global crisis. So people, uh, other countries in Europe, were also experiencing this crisis. So the Baltic states, for example, Latvia and Lithuania were in, you know, they had an extremely um, tough crisis as well. So, you know, was it better to ride out the crisis in Ireland or was it better to go home to Latvia where unemployment was actually even higher? So this explains why a lot of people actually stayed as well. Seventy thousand gross emigration, 150,000 net emigration in that period, but divided in half to remove non-Irish citizens and you're down from a biblical exodus type event to the population of one of our medium-sized counties. And there was another key difference between 10 years ago and the 1950s or 80s. Ireland had become to others what Yonkers or Kilburn had once been to the Irish. And I think after the crisis, it it also became a reality that Ireland's uh, future is one of immigration and multiculturalism, whereas our history is one of emigration. Let's not be callous, though, about the Poles and the Latvians who had to leave. They were more than just numbers. It was an emotional experience for them, too. Because Yaroslav's reasons for coming to Ireland in the first place hadn't been solely about work and money, he found returning to Poland very conflicting. After a good few years, I'm actually start feeling as a citizen of, of that country, you know. So that was like part of me was actually joined with, with Ireland. It wasn't just who was coming and going and why they had left that had changed. What the emigrant experience was and wasn't had also changed fundamentally. 
Civil engineer Cahill MacDonald was made redundant very shortly after the crash hit. He spent the next 12 months picking up no more than bits and pieces. I was left in a situation where there was no main contractors who were offering new positions. There was no new building happening. There was no new extensions or hospitals to be built. So, um, yeah, I got some work for six to 12 months there on Lansdowne Road. Then you would get three months with nothing. Then there was, I got a couple more months building some student accommodation out in UCD. And it was just piecemeal and, and, and it wasn't sustainable. Cahill was in the 23% who got on the plane because they had no other option. And nothing that anyone said to him was going to make him feel better about it. You know, you've gone from graduate, from a junior engineer, worked your way up through the ranks and you find yourself in a fairly well-paid position. And next thing, that's all gone. And you are that guy then going for the B&I ferry, if you know what I mean. But the B&I ferry, the Jeannie Johnston of the 70s and 80s, had been replaced by a very different experience. There would be no need for this wave of emigrants to end up sitting in a bar in Cricklewood crying tears in their beer with the other brickies over the love that they had left behind. Because Cahill had left a girlfriend, now wife, back in Dublin, he came home from London every fortnight for the weekend. It soon became apparent that I was sitting on a Ryanair flight every second week going back to London with 200 odd people in the exact same boat as me. You know, everyone was between the ages of 25 and 40 as far as I could see. And, you know, you you get talking to people on flights and they're all generally third level uh, qualified people, professionals who are in the same boat. A lot of A lot of construction guys as well from trade backgrounds. But uh, the over the overriding uh, commonality between it all was their age groups. They were all twenty five to forty, and it just that brain drain which you hear about became a reality. That's what was happening. It was a painful experience, but there are two things which take the edge off it. First, unlike previous waves of emigration, it was much easier to return from twenty fifteen on, and secondly, Ariel Glynn says that there is now a well-observed phenomenon about those who leave and return. They're actually usually doing better than those who remained because they come back with skills that they learned from abroad. They um, And economists have found that those who returned after the 1980s actually had a wage premium. That is, they earn more than those with the same qualifications who never left. And here is why economics is quite rightly called the dismal science. Yes, the figures show that Cahill and many of the other austerity wave emigrants were better off for their stint overseas. But it didn't make it feel any less miserable if you didn't want to be there. There was a kind of a, a bitterness as to why am I in, why am I here and why, why do I have to dial plus 353 to talk to any of my family or friends, you know, as opposed, you know, I, I'm abroad. It felt like I was in exile, which I was essentially. Uh, so it was, it was, it was bitter. It was tough. Um, did it make me a better person? Did I come home more driven? Yeah, definitely. And Cahill, tell me, now that you're back, do you feel like you have caught up with where you were before you left, or are you still playing catch up? Uh, no, not not after the after the time that has passed. Uh, when I came back to Ireland, I was obviously in a very different situation. I, my savings were gone. You know, I, my my car was gone. I was coming back to nothing again. Um, uh, luckily for me, uh, 
things have gone well for me over the last 10 years and I feel like I'm back where I would have been uh, or where I was aiming to be, shall I say. 10 years on, we are back to where we started in numerical terms. Everyone who has left has returned. Of course, it's not exactly the same people, but immigration and returning emigrants have by now cancelled out all of those who left during the recession. There are, of course, parents like Eileen Noonan who feel left behind. And it was terrible because I knew, as you say, I knew he was going to come home at some stage. But I knew deep down in my heart there wasn't anything at the, at the time here and he was going to go back again. And I just dreaded that part. I got in touch with Eileen's Billy, no longer in New Zealand but now in Canada, with strong memories of what being made redundant 10 years ago had been like. Living at the time in Ireland seemed to be living the dream at the stage. Like we were guys I knew that were working and all of a sudden I was I was out of work and I had a car loan to pay off. I had the redundancy but nothing like we were so I was a bit, I suppose looking back now I was fairly, fairly sour about it in fairness. Now Billy shares his mother's memory of the tearful farewell and departures in Cork Airport. And he looked behind and the tears going down his face. And I, I, I just waved him off and I just said, Billy, mind yourself and be careful. But he hadn't even arrived in New Zealand before he thought to himself that this was going to be something more permanent. I'd have one birthday away from home, a bit of fun, then I'd be home. But when I got to the airport in Cork, I said, no, I just... Cork wasn't too bad. It was Cork to London, London to Shanghai, or Bangkok, sorry. And I remember sitting in and Bangkok to Sydney. And I remember sitting in Sydney hours later and thinking... That's probably it, actually, realistically. I don't think I'm going to go back here because I'm not moving this far away just for a year of doing nothing. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of, it hit me kind of halfway to to New Zealand that I think this could be a long-term thing. There's not, this country's not going to turn around overnight. So that was the worst part, I guess. That was pretty quick. And you obviously haven't changed your mind about that since, have you? Yeah, it was a bit of a, a, bit of a strange one because I remember after being in New Zealand for a week, I thought, right, looks like I'll be here for the... As long as I can, really. I had work within 24 hours of landing in New Zealand. I had a, had a job, gotten everything without even looking. Do me a favour, Billy. Rate living in Ireland just before you emigrated, uh, one out of ten. One being Angela's ashes, ten being on the pig's back. That's not too harsh because I always had a pretty good living with the, the folks. I never put any, they didn't put too much pressure on us. Like, so the home life was as perfect as you could get it, like, especially with the Irish mammy there that, the dinner was cooked, the laundry was done, like there was no questions asked, but in general, oh, I'd say it was below five anyway, without sounding too depressing. I just wasn't happy at all, to be honest. It's kind of the same rigmarole. You, at that time, it was pretty much live for the weekend, live for your Saturday night out with the lads, and in between that, you're just killing time, going to false offices or social welfare to sign on, and standing in the queue at 2021, being like, Jesus Christ, this is, this is just not even embarrassing because everyone on the queue was, there was lads there from 19 up to 50 and you're thinking, this isn't good enough at all. And your life now in Canada, even allowing for the fact that you might miss home every once in a while, what would you give that out of 10? Um, at the moment, yeah, it's high up there. I'd give it 8, 9 out of 10. I suppose the only time I don't like it is just when you start thinking about home a little bit more than you should, but that doesn't happen too often because of fibre or Skype or whatever, but yeah, the quality of life, work, a lot more positivity, there's more, a lot more growth for people here. Billy is no exception that disproves the rule. Iriel Glynn was involved in a study that asked the same question of over a thousand long-term emigrants. For their quality of life at home, it was five and a half out of ten, whereas for 
that abroad it was 7.9 out of 10. So that's a considerable difference. They were much happier at home, or abroad than they were at home. We are good at emigration. We have the education and English as a first language to make it work in our favour. We are well regarded abroad and we have well-oiled networks smoothing our arrival and integration. Little surprise then that more Irish people emigrated during the recession than did from countries where unemployment was higher. We actually had a lot more people leaving than Greece did or Spain had. So we stood out uh, compared to places like Greece or Spain or Italy in terms of how many people left per capita. What do you infer about us from that? It infers that we have a culture of emigration and, and we have a culture of mobility. So yes, we go because we want to go. But it is also still a crucial safety valve. Just think how much angrier austerity was in Spain and Greece than here. How much more protesting there was. And that poses a far stickier question about the future. With Covid closing down that safety valve, at the same time that unemployment is rising, what kind of head of steam is going to build up in the pressure cooker this year? It's still way too soon to ask the piano player for another tune. Boombus Broke is an RTE original podcast presented and produced by Philip Boucher Hayes and recorded at home in his living room, which I hope explains the occasionally uneven sound quality. Thanks for listening and stay safe.